Thank you very much. Just get myself organized. Good morning. Lovely to see you all, although I actually can't see you with my glasses on, so that's odd, but good anyway. Right. Hello, Colossians. We're carrying on our adventure through this amazing letter that was written by Paul and uh, to the church in Colossae. And last week, Simon kicked us off, um, and he was telling us about Paul writing this letter from prison. But even though Paul is in prison, he is really invigorated in his faith. He is excited and enthused because of what he's hearing. He's hearing these stories of the good news. People are getting excited about the good news, and they're telling each other. And so Paul is really built up in his mission, even though he's in prison. And what Simon was saying was, we want to be like Colossae here in Hastings. We want to be a similar kind of church. What will it take? What will it take for us to be like those guys? And we were hearing about the challenge to be a church that is full of faith and hope and love and to be disciples, to be followers of Jesus who wrestle in prayer for one another. Go and have a listen if you want to. You can catch up, but that's where we kicked off last week, and I have the joy of taking us on in the journey. And in the next little bit in Paul's letter, we actually get a glimpse of what Paul prays for this new church. Um, he wants them to know not just that he's pr praying for them, but what he's praying you know, we often say, yeah, I'm going to pray for you. But he wants them to know what he's praying. And I love that. And I was thinking, well, why? Why, why would he want that? And I wonder if it's um, about sparking this prophetic imagination that Simon was talking about last week. If they know what he's praying, you know, they can start to imagine, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is a different reality. We can live into a different reality. So we get a glimpse of what Paul's praying. Um, before we look at it, I'm going to ask you a question. I just want you to think about, like, maybe you've never prayed. So if you haven't, don't worry. But if you have ever prayed for somebody who you know, if you pray regularly for somebody who you know, what do you pray? Like, what is your starting point? And know for me, if I'm praying regularly for somebody, often it's kind of the situation that starts me off. I see the situation and I think I want it to change. I, I, I want to imagine something different. I want that to be different. I want that to change. It's quite me focused. I want that to be different. But when we look at how Paul prays, there's a subtle difference. What Paul knows about God, what Paul knows about God's character, the truth of who God is, shapes what he prays. His starting point is God, and out of that, he prays. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at three truths that I think Paul shows us about who God is, and that shapes what he prays for these people. Hopefully it will inspire us. Okay, so the three truths are these. Number one, God wants us to know him. God wants us to know him. God wants us to be wise. 
And God wants us to feel his pleasure. I used to be a primary school teacher, so I often do things sort of physically. So I want us to imagine God wants us to know him. God wants us to be wise. And God wants us to feel his pleasure. If you imagine your heart, your head, and your hands all engaged. Okay, so that's where we're heading. The first one, God wants us to know him. If we look in verse 9, Paul says this, we have not stopped praying. We have not stopped asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. He wants these people to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. He wants them to know what God wants. And isn't it true that we know people by what they want? We kind of, we know people by what they do. And I just want to, there's a little caution here. What I am not saying is you are what you do. You're not defined by your job or your lack thereof. You're not defined by what you do. But what I am suggesting is that our actions and our lifestyle and our priorities does actually show something of who we are. So we we can actually know people by actions. I'm going to tell you a little story. Um, About four years ago, um, Mark, my husband, and I were uh, organizing a Christian house party, like a holiday for families, about 200 people gathering in the summer, and we needed a speaker. And we had heard about a couple called Simon and Sarah Larkin, names on a piece of paper. Um, We knew their names. We knew where they lived. We knew just a little bit about them, like, you know, what they did, who their family was. Um, That's pretty much it. We could have stopped there and thought, great, brilliant, they'll be good. Then we were living in Spain at the time. They were living here. We had a little meeting on Zoom. So we then saw their faces and we thought, ah, okay, now we see what they look like. Got a sense of their, their sense of humor, similar silliness. Okay. Getting to know them a bit better. Then in the summer, we did actually meet them face to face and it was fun. It was good. And we, we started to get to know them a little bit better, but as we watched them and as we listened to them and as we sort of saw how they were doing life during that week, there was something in us that was really drawn to something in them. And they were telling stories about what was going on here in Hastings. They were full of stories of the adventure of what God was doing. And something in our spirit was like really awakened. And to cut a long story short, it's for another time, but two weeks later, we actually decided to move to Hastings. (laughs) Ridiculous. But I tell you that story because we could have stopped at head knowledge of who Simon and Sarah were. That might have been enough. You know, there was a lot of accolades, if you like, on a piece of paper. We knew they'd be brilliant speakers. But as we've got to know them, as we've walked with them and seen how they do life, there's something about their priorities and their heart that is revealed. And we want to join in. It's like, oh, that's really inspiring. I want to be part of what's going on there. I want to join in with that adventure. And I think that that's true of God, too. We get to know him 
by seeing what he's up to. We get to know him as we see his heart revealed. What is God all about? God doesn't just want us to know about him. God wants us to know what he's about. He doesn't just want us to know about him. He wants us to know what he's about. And I think what God's about is best summed up in the person of Jesus. That's how we can see what God's about. God's will, what he wants, what he's about, is not head knowledge. It's a person, the person of Jesus. God's will looks like Jesus. And so because of that, it's not passive. It's not this kind of finite little box of knowledge that we have. It's an invitation into a relationship, something that's living and dynamic and active and always moving. And Toby was saying that about being in the cafe, like God is always up to something, whether we see it or not. He's always touching lives and transforming situations. So actually, we could rephrase that first prayer of Paul when he says, we've not stopped asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. We could say, We haven't stopped asking God to fill you with the knowledge of Jesus. That's what I want for you. I want you to know Jesus. God wants us to know Jesus and to join in with the adventure of making him known. Isn't that a cool thing to pray for someone else? That they would know Jesus more and more, to have eyes to see what he's up to in the world? Join in with the adventure. That's the first truth that shapes how Paul prays for these Colossians. The second one. So I said he wants us to know him and he wants us to be wise, spiritually wise. So I'm going to make sure I can see my notes. Here we go. Back to verse 9. He says this, We have not stopped asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I think Paul is suggesting that there's a different kind of wisdom. I think he's saying that living this adventure is actually going to require a different kind of wisdom from the one that's being offered. And his words that he uses are really deliberate. We mustn't forget the context of, of when this letter's written and there were these subtle cultural pressures starting to sneak into the church. And we'll have more of that later when we look at Colossians 2. But one of the little sneaky things that was starting to get into the church in Colossians, um, was, uh, summed up by this group called the Gnostics. And the word Gnostic, the, the Greek root for that, um, is knowledge. So it's a group of people who were believing that you needed to have some kind of superior knowledge, understanding, wisdom, privilege in order to have access to God's salvation. So there was a sort of superiority. It wasn't for everybody. And so when Paul uses the words wisdom and understanding, he's actually setting up an argument that is exactly counter to that. He's saying, no, that's not true. He's correcting Wrong thinking. He's realigning their thinking. 
He wants them to know that there's a different kind of wisdom. Yeah, this might be a wisdom that's on offer, but there's a different kind of wisdom. He wants them to know that there is wisdom that comes from the Spirit. Wisdom that is external from themselves. Wisdom that is received as gift. Something that you can ask for and therefore you can get more and more and like be full of. How cool is that? Like to grow in wisdom. And the best way of me explaining this, I have to just read. It's quite a, it's a little chunk from the Bible, but I have to just read it because I hope it excites you in the same way that it excites me. This is the best way to explain what I mean by this spiritual wisdom. It's still Paul's words. It's in a different letter. It's to the Corinthians. All right. Great. It says this. We speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of the age. No. We speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. I love that. It's so cool and so inspiring and so different from what we're conditioned to believe. So cool that I've got myself in a pickle. Here we go. And I think like deep down we sort of know that to be true, don't we? If you think about people that you know, People that you see around you. I know, I've got a friend who is super wise. She doesn't think she's wise because she doesn't have the paperwork to prove it. She doesn't have the degrees and the certificates and the kind of rewards that you're given in this culture to say you're wise. Her wisdom comes from a different source. There's a kind of poise and a serenity and a deep knowing about her that's come from a different place. And I believe that her wisdom comes from a daily cup of tea with Jesus. So she makes it like that is a non-negotiable in her diary. At three o'clock, it's tea with Jesus. And I think that what she receives in that time is the grace of God's hidden wisdom, the kind of mysterious wisdom that is on offer to all of us. It's not like reading and studying and, you know, all of that is really good. But there is a wisdom that's on offer to all of us that's different. And we see that in Jesus too. If you look at how Jesus did his life, I think it's really similar. Like in the, the thick of the action, in the thick of preaching and teaching and healing and casting out demons, always, always he would retreat 
go to a lonely place, be silent, be alone with his father. I don't know if he had a cup of tea, probably not. I like to imagine it. I just love the thought of him connecting with his father, listening to his voice, receiving wisdom for the next moment and the next moment and the next moment. I imagine the temptation for him to just carry on this incredible um, conveyor belt of busyness, but actually always stop, receive wisdom, carry on. So that's the second thing that um, I believe the truth of God that shapes Paul's prayer is that in the face of these kind of subtle pressures that sneak in and want to set us off course, God wants us to be spiritually wise. So that's what we can pray for each other. We can pray that you would be full of spiritual wisdom and understanding, that you would make space in your life to have free and uncluttered access to what is on offer, this hidden, mysterious wisdom. So to know God, to be wise, and then to feel his pleasure. Verse 10. This is what Paul prays. He says, And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Now, to be honest, I find this verse really problematic. It kind of pulls on something that's really sensitive in me. Because words like worthy and pleasing, they kind of nudge me towards ungrace, towards doing and striving and earning. Um, it feels a little bit to me like Paul is saying, if this, then that. If I live a really good life, then God's going to be really pleased with me. If I'm really kind and patient and da 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 God's going to think, great. And if I'm honest, I know that I've lived like that for a really long time. It kind of appeals to how I've been made. If I'm a really good girl, you'll be pleased with me. If I do really well at school, I'll be rewarded. And I know that, that is, a lot of us will feel the sensitivity of that conditioning but I have to, like, this is the thing for me. This, if you take nothing away from today, this is it. Paul says, no, that is not true. Grace, 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 grace. And I, boy, I'm only at the beginning of trying to understand what that really means. And Philip Yancey, who's a brilliant writer, this is how he describes grace. He says, there is nothing that you can do to make God love you more. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you less. Nothing. So I don't believe that Paul is saying, if this, then that. I just do not believe it. And I know that because anything you read of Paul, any of his letters, is just awash with grace language. God's pleasure is not me being a good girl, doing the right thing, like really trying to be good. God's pleasure 
is in grace. God's pleasure is found in seeing his children grow in holiness as he works in my heart, in our hearts, to make me more like him. That's what brings him pleasure. It starts with him, not with me. God does the filling. I think it says that, and I can't, I haven't got the passage in front of me, but I pray that God would fill you. Not that I'm going to fill myself, but that God would fill you. God grows the fruit. In Galatians, it talks all about the fruits of the Spirit that he wants to grow in us. Love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. And You know, I don't strain to make that grow in me. I relax into the creative process, like an apple tree. You know, an apple, the tree doesn't strain to grow the apple. It's not like, right, today I am going to grow the juiciest, most beautiful, luscious apple. Today's the day. I'm going to work really hard at it. I mean, the tree's job is to put its roots down deep into the soil Absorb the nutrients, absorb the water, absorb the light, and wait, trust, relax. The fruit will grow in season. No control, just rootedness. It's God that does the growing, God that does the filling. Those characteristics, love and joy and peace, they're not kind of abstract, weird things that we have to try and like strain to make happen. It's God's character growing in me. You know, he takes such joy in seeing that reflected back at him. He is love. He is patience. He is joy. So to see joy reflected back at him and his child must, well, it does just bring him such delight. It's a subtle shift, but massive in order to hopefully bring freedom. Because, you know, grace does expect a response. It doesn't need a response. It doesn't need anything from me. But there is a, I want to. I want to. My response is, yes, Lord, yeah. Do what you will with me. And I practice. Like, I can join in and I can try and practice patience. And I know I'm going to be rubbish and I'm still loved, but I'm going to practice. I want to practice anyway. I want to say thank you. I want to say yes. I want to work out this amazing adventure of becoming more like God, like opening myself for him to grow that in me. So that's the third truth of who God is. God feels incredible pleasure in transforming our lives. Not because of what I do, not because of what we do, but because of who he is. Starts with him. And this is what we can pray for people who we love, that they would live a life that looks like Jesus. Life that is full of peace, full of joy, full of goodness, full of kindness, that they'd make room for the Holy Spirit to grow in their lives. And that they would know deep down that God takes great pleasure in doing that. So thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul, for this amazing gift. I've often wondered, like, what should I be praying for the people I love? How can I pray for people in, in my life? And I just, yeah, I feel like this is a gift. We can pray that they would really know God. 
pray that they would really be wise, spiritually wise, and that they would feel God's pleasure. Amen. I think it would be good if we just are quiet for a while. Let's just make some space for God to drop a little pearl into our hearts. Don't know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, but we'll be quiet for a while. Just sit, invite Toby to come back up.